This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. In doing this program, we flipped it all on the head and said we're going to forget about everything else initially except for gluten content. This week on the show, barley breeder and research scientist Crispin Howitt tells the story of how Kabari, the world's first gluten-free barley, was born, and how Rodeberger used the variety to develop the world's first Reinheitsgebot-approved gluten-free beer. It seems like almost everything is being marketed as gluten-free these days. Just how big is the gluten-free market and why is it growing so fast? So there's a, there's a couple of classes of people that follow a gluten-free diet. Uh, there's the people with celiac disease that represents about 1% of the population. And at the moment, the only solution for them is to absolutely follow a gluten-free diet. Their body actually reacts adversely to gluten as if it's a bad bacteria or virus. Um, There's a second class then of people that react to foods that contain gluten, but it's not celiac disease and nobody yet is sure what the cause of that class people is um, or what causes that adverse reaction to gluten for those people and then the third the third group are people who feel that they feel better when they avoid gluten in the diet uh, so they, they genuinely think that they're better with no gluten and when you add these different classes together it represents about 10 percent of the population actively avoiding gluten at any one time. Wow, that's a lot of people. Yes, it is. Gluten-free barley sounds like an impossibility, but you were able to go from 55,000 parts per million gluten down to about four in a fairly short amount of time for conventional breeding. How did that happen? So we actually designed this project from the start that our target was to develop a, a gluten-free barley. And then we looked at the different classes of hordane. So gluten is not a single protein. And in barley, 
the proteins that make up gluten are called hordeins. And then there are four there are four different classes of hordeins. There are B hordeins, which are around 10 to 20 proteins. There are C hordeins with a similar number of proteins. G hordeins with one protein and gamma hordeins with two or three proteins. So you've got in the range of 25 to 45 proteins in barley that may, they're actually classed as gluten. So what we did in developing this project was went through and looked through what was known about barley hordeins previously and identified three different low hordeine lines that other other groups had identified in the past. One of these had no B hordeines, one of these had no C hordeines, and one had no D hordeines in them. And then just using conventional breeding strategies, so the same sort of breeding that uh, your the reg regular barley breeders use, we brought those three low, no B, no C and no D hordeine traits together into a single barley variety and that's the barley that we developed with about five parts per million gluten in the grain. And, and does that five parts per million come from that fourth class that you mentioned? Yes, yes. So that comes from the gamma hordeins. Um, there, so there are still some gamma hordeins present in the barley, but we are well below the recommendation by the World Health Organization of less than 20 parts per million allows classification as gluten-free. Very good. Anything else you'd like to say in regards to that breeding process? Uh, the, the only thing, it was a very deliberate strategy to use conventional breeding. We knew that if we had using GM technologies, there would not be consumer acceptance. Um, so it was definitely focused on conventional breeding to ensure that what we developed, we would then be able to take direct to market just as another normal barley variety. You, you've used multiple methods of analysis to confirm these very low gluten levels. Is there anything you'd like to say about the analyses? So in developing these barley varieties, we wanted to be very, very um, precise in making sure that we had the gluten content of around five parts per million and that what we were saying we had, we really did have. So with that in mind, we used a version of the ELISA, which is the approved method for measuring gluten content. Um, we modified it a little bit to recognise that we were using barley only and using that modified method we came up with a value of around five parts per million. Um, but then we also used two protein-based methods that we have access to in our research laboratory um, to confirm that result. So given that all three different methods came up with an answer in around the five part per million range. We are we are confident in the number of five parts per million in the grain is what really is there. Obviously, when breeding new barley lines, there are a lot of traits beyond gluten content that need to fall within acceptable ranges. Just how lucky yeah. did you get there? Uh, we've had some luck, and there's still some work to do. So, in in terms of breeding barley, what we did, normally you would focus on your yield, your disease resistance, and then your, your grain property traits. Um, in doing this program, we flipped it all on the head and said, we're going to forget about everything else initially except for gluten content. 
So we have the gluten content down at around five parts per million. But in the variety we have, the very first variety that we've developed, we have a reduction in grain size and we also have a reduced yield. But now that we know we can get the gluten content down to five parts per million, we're implementing traditional or conventional breeding programs to now start increasing the grain size again, working on the yield of, the, of these grains to bring them back as close to conventional malting barleys as we can. Kabari has high fan levels, uh, which, yeah. which generally makes adjunct brewers happy, but is problematic for all malt brewers. So what's the situation with fan? So, yes, the, the, the fan is, is high in these lines. So the, the version that we've got at the moment, the fan levels are around 300, um, which, as, as you say, can create some issues for all malt brewers. But we've had a number of brewers now work with this grain. Um, there is one, one product on the market in Germany commercially. So it, there are some adjustments that can be done to the brewing process to compensate for that very high fan level. And you have good news to report in regards to beta-glucan, right? Yes, yes. So the beta-glucan content in these grains um, is down between 0.5 and, and 1%, and that's a very consistent result that we've seen across multiple years and multiple environments. So that should help with uh, wart viscosity and filtration. Let's talk about enzymes. Did I understand correctly from your presentation at the Brewing Summit that even though beta amylase levels are very low, you're not really seeing major differences in starch digestion? Yeah, so we've, in, in, in these grains, there's no, no difference in alpha A amylase activity, but beta amylase activity is down in around the range of 50 to 100 fold below a conventional malting barley. Uh, in our laboratory, we've done tests on starch digestion and we see no difference in laboratory conditions. And talking to the brewers that have done trials with Kabari, they are saying that they can, they can make it work to brew some very good beers. Um, and I've tasted a number of them and I would agree with that. Um, but they are doing some, some tweaking to the process. but. We, we as a research organisation don't need to know those, those tweaks um, that the brewers are doing. Okay. You used uh, mass spec to dig into the low beta amylase result. What did you uncover there? So you, using mass spec, which allows us to look at multiple expression levels of multiple different proteins at once, um, we discovered that every time that we have align with no C hordines that we've during the breeding process we develop lots of lines that have no C hordines but not necessarily all the other low gluten traits but every single line that we've developed that has low C hordine also has the very low level of beta, beta amylase in the grain so we believe that there's an absolute linkage and that low beta amylase amylase is not something that we will be able to fix using conventional breeding. You also dug deeper into the protein composition. Talk about that. When we looked at the actual protein content of the grains, we were actually really surprised to see that despite the fact that we'd removed 
almost 100% of the gluten, which represents about half the total protein in the grain, the total grain protein content hadn't changed. Um, and so we were wanted to dig into this and understand what else was happening to make maintain the protein content in the grain. And we found two two things that were of interest to us. One one that we've already discussed is that the high fan levels, um, that's amino acids being loaded into the grain but not being converted into proteins. So they the way the protein content is measured, they contribute so that the high fan is one component. But the other thing that we found was globulins, which are soluble proteins, increased in all the lines that had no B hordines. So we the grains will also have a higher soluble protein content than a traditional barley. Coming up. Rutterberger have targeted their first product as a Pilsner because that's the largest market in, in Germany. To me, the Pioneer beer is, is very, very similar to their the traditional Pilsner that they produce under the Rutterberger range. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Barna Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. There's only a few things left on the Master Brewers calendar for 2018. November wraps up with a webinar on strategies and tactics for being inclusive and building diversity in craft beer. The annual District St. Louis holiday party is December 7th. Also on December 7th, you can catch the webinar on beverage can production. And it's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. I can't wait to see what decorations Tressa comes up with. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Let's hear about some of the initial small-scale brewing trials that you did. So we we got, as you say, some very small-scale trials done initially using just a standard pale malt. Um, and a couple of interesting results came out of that one one of those 
was that the brewing yield was down with the grain uh, with or with Kabari. Uh, but that's not surprising when you consider that the grains that we were using were about 30% smaller than a conventional malting barley. Um, and the second interesting thing was when going through the warp filtration, the warp filtration time was actually faster than with the conventional grain. The other interesting results um, were that, as we discussed, beta-glucan was down in the, in the wort analysis and it was below the limit of detection. Uh, the fan or free amino nitrogen was up, as was the soluble nitrogen, and the apparent final attenuation was around 10% lower than the standard barley used as a control. Did you guys do those, um, those trials in-house or did you um, have a third party do them or how did that work? Uh, we contracted them out to the VLB in Berlin in Germany. Okay, cool. Your first target market was uh, Germany, I, I guess because of the Reinheitsgebot, where you partnered with uh, Radeberger to produce Germany's first gluten-free beer in 2016. How did you go from these pilot-scale test brews to a full-on commercial beer produced by a major German brewing company? It, interestingly, we actually had um, little to do with the process. Once, once Radeberger were interested in moving forward and exploring if this was an option for them. We then we then su started supplying a standard base malt to them to run trials. Uh, and when they were happy that they could produce a beer that met their standards, um, then it was just a matter of them scaling their protocols up to a commercial scale in their brew house and us ensuring that we had the right partners on board to allow supply of grain to them. Talking about those partners, I mean, that must have been somewhat of a major undertaking to coordinate with growers and maltsters in, in, the, in the brewery. What was that like? For me, that was really, really interesting because it moved me completely out of my comfort zone of being a research scientist into managing production, uh, interacting and developing contracts with the farmers for the production and then export of the, the grain to Germany. Um, for Reiterberger, they are actually controlling the malting in a, in a malt house that they have a relationship with that's closer to them so they can manage the process and ensure that the malt is to the specifications they want. I haven't had an opportunity to try the to try Radeberger's beer, so tell us what does it taste like. Radeberger have targeted their first product as a pilsner because that's the largest market in in Germany, and to me, the Pioneer beer is is very very similar to their tradition the traditional pilsner that they produce under the Radeberger range. The Radeberger release sounds like quite a success story. At least it's still around a couple of years later, so they must be having some success with the brand. So where do you go from here? So we are now actively looking for other brewers that are interested in trying or running trials with Kabari in their facilities and seeing whether they... It, it's something that they would like to take forward and move in, move into the commercial space. 
Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the um, opportunities outside of beer that you're excited about too? So when we started this project, our um, initial target was never actually beer. I mean, it's been a really fun diversion along the way. (laughs) But the original rationale was that the gluten-free foods on the market in which was 2002 when we started the project were generally high in fat, high in sugar, low in fiber, low in minerals and low in vitamins. And so we wanted to develop a new food source, in this case Kabari barley, for to be able to be incorporated into food products for people with celiac disease or those that avoid gluten. Um, and so they could have healthier and more diverse diets. And while we've moved on and there's in that the last 16 years, there's been a lot more foods developed that are in the gluten-free market. Some recent studies are still suggesting that they are, in general, higher in fat and sugar and lower in fibre and minerals and vitamins. So we're now looking at options in the food market and we have developed, using again, using conventional breeding, we've developed a naked or wholeless version of Kabari and we've done some, some small-scale trials with that version and showing that we can roll it into or and extrude it into products that would be similar to a traditional breakfast cereal, so something like Cheerios um, or a, a you know oats sort of a, your porridge. You can make products like that with Kabari. So we are really very excited about the options going forward into the food space and you know. Have, have a vision in the future where somebody on a gluten-free diet is sitting there drinking their Kabari-based beets beer while they eat a pizza that's made with a Kabari base. Sounds pretty good. Okay, so you surveyed over 900 members of Celiac UK to find out what types of gluten-free products Celiac consumers in the UK want, and you actually got some unexpected results. What happened there? So in in that survey, um, we asked a range of questions from these 900 people. And the the first one was around, you know, how likely would you be to consume a certain class of product made with Kabari? And interestingly, we found that when we put beer up as a class, while the overall response was still very positive. We had the largest group of people saying that they were not at all likely to want a beer made from Kabari, even though this is a class of people that absolutely has to avoid gluten for medical reasons, whereas breakfast cereals, pastas, pizza, all rated really highly and didn't have that strong negative response. So we then thought about why, asked a question about why they wanted the foods. Um, Did they want increased variety, more fibre, more whole grains or enhanced flavours? And again, all those, we got extremely positive responses. But when we had the, the question in there about a great tasting beer, again, we got the most strong negative response again with a large group of people saying that that it was not at all important to them so we we wanted to understand 
this further because we'd actually thought that beer would be the response that we got the most favourable result to and everybody wants a really good beer. And Yeah, who are these people? Are they crazy? Yeah. Yeah, are they crazy or do they really love sorghum-based beers or millet-based beers? Um, we wanted to understand that a bit further. So we then, instead of asking a direct question where they had a tick-the-box answer, we asked open questions and asked people to put down the products that they would like to see made with Kabari. And when, you did, when, we, when we did that... Um, Beer was the most frequently mentioned word in when you did a word count of in all the responses. So beer was the most and then barley was second. So we had two different sets of styles of questions giving completely different answers. When we started drilling into why um, beer was the most frequent response in the when we asked for free text answers, we looked at the demographic. And when you split this into gender, um, men with celiac disease really, really want a great beer. It was by far the most dominant response. Whereas women, there was a group in there that wanted beer, but it wasn't nearly as dominant. But when we then looked at the makeup of the respondents, two-thirds of the respondents in the survey were women and one-third were men. So this, explain, this, this difference explained the results in the tick-the-box questions, but the number of times men wrote down beer in the, open, in the free text response clearly demonstrates that men who avoid gluten or who can't have a real beer are desperate for one. Makes sense. Okay, there are some proteins other than hoarding that can affect celiacs. I know you've got some irons in the fire to verify that Kabari is 100% safe for celiacs. Tell us about that. So, yeah, we've just, actually, we've just had some really exciting news on that, that we have working, we've been working towards a clinical trial using Kabari with people with celiac disease. And two weeks ago, we got the final approval from the Ethics Committee to start that trial. And we are actually hoping that our first participant in the trial will start next week. So hopefully within about 12, 12 to 18 months, we will have the results of those clinical trials on the safety of Kabari for people with celiac disease. <laughs> That was Crispin Howitt here on the Master Brewers Podcast. For only $89, you can have access to Crispin's slides as well as all of the other amazing work that was presented at the 2018 Brewing Summit. Master Brewers members get a discount. Go to mbaa.com store, then click on Conference Proceedings, or look for a link in the show notes. To do this work, it wouldn't have been possible without... Our co-partners, the Grains Research and Development Corporation of Australia, who were co-investors in the development of the malting version of Kabari, and the Healthy Grain, who are investing in the development of the naked version for the food products. Hey, remember the Belgian beer book that Sten Mertens and Jan Stensels talked about on episode 101, The Yeasts of Tomorrow? 
Well, great news. It's now available in the Master Brewers bookstore. Just go to mbaa.com store and type Belgian beer into the search bar to get your copy today. My fist full of courage.